Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 160 with Artist Kadu. Uh, so if you notice, my voice is a little bit uh, deeper and uh, kind of raspy, um, just coming off a little bit of a sore throat, but uh, wanted to make sure we got this awesome episode out for you all to enjoy, uh, talking all about how technology and AI can help personalize student communications uh, across the student life cycle. So Artist brings a lot of experience and expertise and passion for this topic. It was really great uh, talking with him and what his uh, team there at Element 451 are up to. Uh, so definitely go check it out, connect with him, keep the conversation going as usual. Please fill out our listener survey. You can find it in the description for this episode. Check out our merch store. And I think that is everything that we need to cover for housekeeping. So please do, without further ado, after this brief message from our sponsor, enjoy this episode number 160, a bonus episode with Artist Kadu. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. So as we get into the back half of this year's season, uh, really excited to continue talking with uh, great folks here in the higher ed tech space uh, about their work, their background, and kind of uh, the top issues of the day and everything. And uh, for this conversation, discussing... Uh, the role that AI, artificial intelligence, plays into uh, the education experience of college students and everything, and uh, the work that uh, folks do to help support those students. So uh, a lot to get to. Super excited to have this conversation. So we'll start out as we always do uh, with our guest giving an introduction of themselves and their background of how they got to be where they are today. Hey, Dustin, how are you? Um, my name is Artis Kadu. I'm the founder and CEO of Element 451. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great to have you. Happy to have you here and have your, uh, your expertise on this topic. So um, just so folks have kind of a background, if you want to give kind of the story of kind of how you got to be where you are today and how Element 451 came to be. Yeah, no, absolutely. The inception story, that is. So um, my background, I'm a computer engineer by trade. Um, you know, my undergraduate, I went on to um, to get a business uh a business degree um, from NYU. Uh, during that time, I was working at NYU as well. Uh, I was both uh, teaching there. I was teaching kind of mobile application development, UI, user experience, and so on and so forth. And also was working on the institution's uh, side as well with uh, uh, things like uh, classroom technology and kind of the website and the digital front door. Um, that's kind of my my starting on the institution side, uh, kind of higher education, and kind of that's where I kind of fell in love with a lot of the problems that we're trying to solve today, especially around student engagement and student experience. Um, and then that's that's where that started, right? Because I was helping uh, NYU and I was helping the institution um, make sure that the student experience, the front door was really, really great. And that experience uh, was great. But then as they were coming in, uh, they were kind of transitioning to the uh, other systems in, in the school. And that didn't really match quite a bit, right? That, that experience was a little bit 
um, disjointed, you know, as they were entering into their application systems or as they were entering into some of the other systems. So essentially, one of the things that uh, I did after that is move on to kind of form a marketing agency and help much, many more institutions uh, with their, you know, with, with their student recruiting, uh, kind of the application systems, the top of the funnel recruiting. So I formed a company called Spark 451, which is a direct uh, marketing agency. And then that's why I, kind of where uh, I started building uh, the technology or started building Element 451 inside of that agency because we needed to uh, personalize it. We needed to take a different approach to how we are uh, reaching out to those students, kind of connecting that school and, and the student together. And then fast forward, we built, you know, quite a bit of technology in there to personalize that experience of the student, to personalize communications, to personalize a lot of the uh, outreach. And we kind of spun out Element 451 out of that as we had a full, robust, you know, fully kind of end-to-end -end system, end-to-end -end marketing automation and kind of CRM platform and application management system. Um, but that's kind of the like that's that's kind of the inception of where we are today, and and is kind of relates to some of the topics we'll talk today around AI and um, uh, specifically AI around kind of CRM. Uh, it, it really was the need for us to personalize communications, to personalize those experiences, to personalize interactions. And in order for us to do that, we really needed a lot of data. I needed to understand that end user or that student or prospective student. And in order to do that, obviously, we needed to gather that data both from their behavioral data and also uh, from enriching data from some of the other sources as well. And, and we needed to get really, really good at it. So so that's kind of the inception of Element, and that's the inception uh, of some of the uh, AI topics that perhaps we can touch on today. Yeah, absolutely. And and it sounds like, you know, I'm sure similar to other folks who've kind of like, you know, built and started things were like, at, at a certain point, it was kind of, you know, scratching your own itch or just, sort of, you know, epiphanies and observations that you've had from your own experience and really being able to bring that in here is... Uh, was really great. So um, really quickly, though, because, yeah, you've kind of led us right in to kind of segue towards, you know, our, our topic of the day here. But um, make sure that folks have a good understanding. If you want to make sure to kind of uh, summarize, paraphrase as uh, uh, succinctly as you can, I guess, just the work exactly that element 451 does as, you know, some people might even know, like the lingo of like a CRM and those sort of things. But like, you know, how do you see it sort of supplementing and augmenting the work of uh, hired professionals out there? So Element 451 is, we, we like to call ourselves a student engagement CRM. And what really mean, what that means is that uh, a school or an institution is able to use Element all the way from top of the funnel from the student recruiting uh, for that prospective student where they're interacting or they don't even know who that student is. Uh, from chat to um, to inquiry to kind of capturing their activity on the website, uh, all the way to the application process to that student to sending communications to that student through uh, email, SMS, and other uh, other channels. 
to handling the whole application experience and then even further when they became a student as well uh, to handling uh, that engagement with that student at that time. So Element is really an engagement platform that you can think about it as a marketing automation uh, plus handling all of the uh, application processes that, that a school would need as well. You know, from all that experience, you know, in the day-to-day in your current work, but certainly, you know, you've been in the education space here for a long time. And, you know, currently, uh, you know, I think there's issues that higher ed is facing that has sort of been like, you know, sort of uh, looming for some time. And I think it's really kind of uh, coming to a front here. But, you know, you're really at that front lines, obviously, the you have the work of higher education out in the uh, marketplace, as it were, um, you know, these prospective interested students and everything, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're just getting all this exposure and kind of understanding of a lot of these current challenges that colleges are facing right now. So, you know, as you're seeing it, what do you think are some of those current challenges? And, you know, we can kind of just move on from there to kind of just the solutions that you see that are kind of working uh, to address those challenges. Yeah, I mean, higher education has been facing a challenge now in terms of declining enrollment for quite a quite a while. Um, and, you know, for those of us who are working in industry and for those of us who are kind of engaging with with colleges and universities to help them with that, um, it's it's been it's been happening for a while now, right? At least a decade plus where we're seeing kind of declining enrollments. A lot of that has to do with the demographics, but a lot of that has to do with kind of the other side, right? There's the expectations changing. When you take a step back, um, you look at some of the global trends or what's happening in education, education as a as general, right? And you see that there's a lot of demand for education and you see that the demand is actually going to grow uh, over the next 25 years or so. Uh, there's going to be uh, 2 billion new learners uh, entering, obviously needing education globally. A billion of those are going to be post-secondary uh, folks or post-secondary. They're going to need post-secondary education, which is anything after high school. And when you look at those numbers, you're like, wow, well, what is happening right now? What is happening in the U.S.? What is happening generally? And, you know, a couple of things that, you know, at least we've, we, we're seeing from our side, or at least that I, I start thinking about are, well, if, if you have the demand, then uh, there is certainly a product problem and there is a marketing problem, right? So in order, if the demand is there, then you, you kind of have this, uh, this disconnect between what the end user or the consumer uh, needs and how they're discovering, uh, you know, the possible uh, solutions out there. So taking a look at higher education, our product has not really changed in a really long time. We're offering the same kind of uh, product or the same education that, you know, schools were offering 30, 40, 50 years ago. It hasn't changed in a long time. However, the consumer has changed, right? The, the students of today and the kind of the learners of today are very, very different from when they were a, a long time ago. The, the expectations are completely different. Uh, they, you know, they, they're kind of digital first uh, folks with Gen Z and so on and so forth. So what ends up happening is that the, you know, the institutions haven't caught up yet. And COVID has certainly accelerated and made that kind of gap a lot worse and accelerated, for example, the, uh, you know, the, the decline as well, right? Because those two are not matching up. So that's, I would say that is the biggest challenge 
that we see for higher education is that the product is needs to evolve and at the same time because the consumer or the student has so many choices and the marketplace has you know wide open it is very difficult to um to attract that student or to to let them know that this thing exists, this product exists, and that's the marketing side of it. So the marketplace is now more national, more global for that matter. Uh, students can take you know courses that they're no longer restricted geographically to kind of close to where they are. Uh, so they can actually take courses online or they can take asynchronous courses or live. So all of these things have made it possible for for that to to become more of a plain level field. And when you don't have a campus to sell, right? So a lot of our institutions are built around this idea of a campus and the campus experience. Then what is, you know, like, how are you going about marketing, right? Marketing is very different now in this digital um, kind of landscape. So those are two of the largest challenges that we see right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure everybody feels that right now. It's just like, yeah, there's the looming domestic enrollment cliff, which I think is a, a important uh, distinguisher, especially how you're framing it, where like, you know, there is sort of this, uh, you know, bigger opportunity in kind of the addressable market, as it's called, you know, for global learners, but everybody is sort of competing for those folks. And I think, you know, part of the solution that some folks see around like lifelong learners and adult learners, you know, but they're looking for something completely different in terms of what, you know, a lot of colleges have traditionally offered in terms of degree programs. These, you know, adult working lifelong learners are, you know, looking for very different things. So, yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, uh, often, you know, I think for a lot of institutions, they're looking at really high acquisition costs for a lot fewer students. So then you kind of left, you know, scratching your head of just like, okay, like, what are we going to do here? And I, I kind of have two follow-up questions around sort of the, the solutions, and I'm curious to see how, how you take them. So the first one, I kind of want to frame it as like an either or, but certainly take it as you will if you're like, <laughs> you know, it depends or a little bit of both or whatever. But I can imagine that, you know, as you're sort of, you know, an institutional leader thinking about how you're going to address, you know, yeah, like paying more for fewer students because it's just, yeah, this like global competitive, uh, you know, uh, market right. for prospective students and everything. Is it that you're like, okay, well, we need to like further invest in more and more and more marketing? Because, uh, you know, the downside I can imagine there, it's like, okay, we're just in this like arms race for, you know, social media ad placements or whatever. Uh, but, you know, that could just be the nature of it and just have to do it smartly. Or do you try to figure out how to be more lean through like, you know, the tools that you use and those sort of things? Because if it's like, okay, if, if this is just going to be how it is, but, you know, as we're kind of maybe pivoting and, kind of readjusting, we kind of need to like right size differently in terms of how we're deploying, you know, these limited resources. So um, yeah, curious your take on that sort of either or first, and then we'll, we'll go to my next question. Um, I mean, as a, as a CEO, one of the things that uh, it's, that goes counterintuitive to when you have a, a downturn or when you have kind of bad economic, you know, bad uh, market uh, conditions is uh, you don't you, you don't take away money from your growth engine, right? So you don't like the mm. the engine that um, is going to give you more fuel. Um, you don't 
you don't cut power to those engines. So you still need to move forward, right? Otherwise your plane is going to kind of fall and, and go nosedive. So so think about marketing and think about kind of the admissions teams as as those engines that are kind of propelling that um, that institution forward. And, and that's counterintuitive, right? Because you want to cut costs. And what's the easiest thing to do is essentially cut digital marketing or cut marketing because it's not, there's no person tied to it. There's no uh, family tied to it. So it's like, well, I can't cut down my my overhead in, in terms of people that I'm hiring, but I can cut down my marketing. But then that has a very different effect on on kind of the, you know, the institution overall. So if you're not investing in growth, then you're basically or basically kind of slowly diving. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So that nose is going down because you don't have a lot of power behind those engines. And that's how I think about it as, you know, of course, as a than someone who who's running a company, but it applies to every kind of organization, right? So you need you need that growth engine. Obviously, higher education is a little bit different because you know it, it the horizons timeline is a bit different there, like a lot longer. It takes a lot longer for an institution to even see the effects of that downward um, kind of trajectory. However, COVID has accelerated that, and kind of the the uh, the effects of some of the things that we talked about around the marketplace and kind of where we are and, and, and kind of the digitization um, and the expectation of the students has also brought to bring, bring to light a lot of those deficiencies that some of the schools have around that. So from my perspective, um, one of the things that schools need to do is invest more on those growth engines rather than kind of cut down and be lean. Of course, you, you don't want to have like you, you think about overhead and you think about, OK, are are, are these programs uh, effective are are we how many students are we kind of adding to these programs? Like when you when you look at the parallel from a consumer uh, product company, like they're cutting down product lines very easily. They say this product line is not very profitable. It's not we're not going to invest any more in it and we're going to cut it down but you look at it in higher education, it's very, very difficult to kill a program, right? And and you have faculty members and you have kind of this dedicated resources that, that you're adding to that and it's not bringing in revenue, but you're at the same time, you still keep going on it. So you're not giving more resources to the things that are making you more money or the things that the consumer wants, right? So then it becomes really hard to, to balance that. So, so it's a... I don't know. I mean, how do you think about it? I mean, Dustin, what what do you think are, because <laughs> you look at it from a business perspective and it's like, hmm, it doesn't make sense. But then what yeah. what do you think? You're, you're in, you're in that area as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've like some exposure to like, I, I, for better or worse, I've never been put in a position to have to like make this decision. But I think like, uh, yeah, I mean, what you're saying makes a lot of sense because it is the idea of like, if you, have you know this area you know marketing obviously this top of the funnel that's where your growth is going to happen and you could be like yeah like starting to cut costs and i think like the airplane metaphor is very apt because if you play that kind of metaphor out you start kind of pulling out sort of the oomph on the engines there's going to be a like objectively true perception of like well we're still moving forward but you are also like starting to like head towards the ground and potentially <laughs> exactly. crashing so it's like you know because you're not like 
in a free fall where it's like, oh, we were moving and now we made a hard stop and we're just crashing straight down. It's like, oh, well, let's just like pull off a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And like, yes, we also, you know, you're still moving forward, but you're also kind of like heading down. So I think that is a very uh, wise uh, bit of advice there. But I think this definitely leads to my like second part of this question around solutions and kind of the, the topic at hand here of like AI and its role in sort of supporting um you know, engaging with students and uh, all that is like being lean, I think is something that's going to be really important for higher ed. So kind of like my two cents is the idea of like, if you are, you know, this is kind of like building on what you were saying, like, you know, what is like a really good use of those limited resources and you're leaning into what's working versus just sort of like blindly, like, well, you know, yeah, we always just throw money at, you know, this and that, or like this billboard over here that looks really cool and we're really proud of and like, whatever. It's like, well, like, you know, on different forms and things, obviously, like, you know, a lot of places, a lot of companies will say, like, well, how did you hear about us and all that? It's like, has anyone ever said, like, oh, I decided to enroll in your college because you had a cool billboard, you know, or whatever. <laughs> it's like one of those things where I think there's always this very, like, combative, like, people, you know, like presidents or whatever are always proud of, like, look at that, like, you know, big poster in the airport or whatever, like, so cool. Exactly. It's like, yeah, sure. But like, be mindful of like, how much money are we realistically spending like over like a long term and how much value are you getting out of it? So it's like about making really smart decisions and using tools that can maybe help you to make those more smartly informed decisions and everything. So exactly, as someone who I think has like way more experience with artificial intelligence than I do, um, you know, you're in, you know, this really like an elite niche space as well, like, you know, tools that sort of help, you know, yeah. utilize artificial intelligence and everything. Like, how do you see this playing into maybe people, uh, you know, higher ed staff, you know, admission staff, marketing staff, hopefully being able to make smarter decisions about what they are doing, aren't doing, how they're spending those limited resources and time and all that. Yeah. So when we think about um, AI and when we think about data in general, there, there's just a lot of low-hanging fruit. Um, one of the things that uh, we use AI quite a bit for is, is tying back to our original mission of how do we create better uh, knowledge about that student and how do we personalize our interactions better with that student. If you if you think about it on the consumer side, you can compare, and, and this is an analogy that we use quite a bit, is this approach of, hey, you have the traditional way of engaging with students, right, or connecting with them, um, and you do that through just a push, right, just a push messaging, that's the idea of a cable, like think about cable as cable television and cable programming, it's you get content, you know, when it's kind of programmed by the provider at a, a specific time. And by the way, we're going to throw a bunch of commercials at you and this other things that are not relevant and you can't get it any other way. Now you change that to where the consumer is in the driver's seat, right? When you think about it now, the, the student is essentially that, that consumer and you switch that around to becoming more of a Netflix uh, kind of experience where uh, I log in, I get to pick what I want to see or they get to consume whatever content I want to see. And as a smart uh, company, Netflix is probably one of the companies that invests the most in AI, right? You, you wouldn't think so, but it is actually where a lot of the AI innovation has come out of. They even have a lot of um, kind of 
hackathons around their algorithms on how to make better recommendations. So their whole idea is, I, I want to understand you a lot better than you understand yourself so I can provide uh, relevant content and I can provide relevant information and relevant engagement. So when we think about it from our side, from the element side and from the school, it's all about those connections with that student, right? When, when you're engaging with them in a digital world and when their inboxes are full and full and when when there is kind of this digital fit like this fatigue right there's there's just a lot of fatigue around communications and this digital communications because everybody now has become really easy to send emails or to send sms messages but knowing you know the things that are going to cut through the clutter are the ones that are relevant the ones that are personalized and the ones that uh, are timely and that's how we use AI and how we see AI being um, really helpful in this case, because, you know, the ability for you to engage is, you know, basically gone down to zero. I mean, well, the, the cost of that has gone down to zero, but mm -hmm. there is more and more and more, um, you know, clutter. And how do you cut through that? And the only thing that's working or that works is stuff that's relevant. So that's how we feel AI is kind of pushing through. Now you can look at it one that way and you can say, okay, you know what? Like how do we take that same relevance at the marketing level, right? Because now at the marketing level, you're saying, okay, if that student has visited our website, we know exactly what pages they visited. We know how, how much time they spend in there. We know if they came to our website at 2 a.m. or they started a chat at 2 a.m. Um, so, so you know all these pieces. And then now you can translate that into providing um, that action uh, right away to that student. And you can kind of build that intelligence and personalize saying, okay, if they visited the financial aid page, they're probably a little bit more interested, you know, uh, under the, uh, under the gun, they want some more help or they need some more information around that. If a current student starts a chat with us at 2am, that's a red flag. It's like huge mental, you know, like they're, they're in uh, some, some stress, right? So we need to have mm -hmm. a counselor reach out to them. If, if it's an alumni, right. And they haven't, you know, they, they have not engaged with you at all. Like no signal is also a signal. So these systems need to understand that. So bringing all that together gives you a better understanding of your end user. And then you can let the systems kind of bubble up uh, actions or, or, or kind of insights that let you uh, think about what, what are the interventions now that I need to do or what are the actions that I need to, or what are the nudges for that matter? Um, so ideally, uh, you want to have the system automate everything, but you're not going to be able to do that, but you're able to get the insight in order for, um, you know, for the, for you to, uh, find out to bubble up those more interesting things that, that you can do. So that's, that's kind of the way we think about it. Yeah. And that's great. I mean, cause there's like a lot there where like, staff members, you know, they'll track things that are going to keep really good logs and all that. And I think nowadays it's only as good as you have some way that it's going to serve up to you to make decisions about like, yeah, like who to reach out to when and how exactly uh, about what and everything. Cause like, uh, yeah, like you said, there's, there's, there's a really good examples about how you could really target a relevant, uh, email or resource or, you know, outreach uh, of any kind and help, 
you know, anticipate questions and, and give the, those answers. So, um, and yeah, I mean, this sort of leads to my next question, because like you're saying, like, yeah, like, yeah, in a perfect world, like everything could just be like, you know, super sophisticated and automated and, you know, all these things. And like they, you know, because I think we all get that from like, you know, online shopping and stuff like exactly. they're all trying to figure out like what we want and be like, hey, are you interested in this or what? It's like, well, no, I just bought shoes. I don't need more shoe ads or whatever. So it's like, you know, those like automated ads are basing, you know, what they're serving up to you on some information, but it's not perfect. So like. I'm sure as you maybe you're like out at like a networking happy hour, like talking about what you do and like AI and stuff. There's some people that sort of are skeptical. Um, and, you know, I, I'm kind of leading towards the answer in my head. So I'm curious, you know, if you'll, if you'll get to <laughs> yes. it, but maybe just clarify, but like, you know, how do you work to combat bias against yeah. Uh, AI? Yeah, of course. So um, the traditional way that you think about AI is, or, or at least ML or machine learning, and we can talk about, you know, we, we'll wrap everything up in kind of this this term, AI term, but the traditional way that targeting has been done at the, uh, you know, around students has been around this idea of demographic data, right? It's like, hey, I know that you live in a particular zip code and I want to target students with, or household incomes with certain, you know, kind of degrees there. I know that you got this test score and I want to target you based on that. I know that you like this program. I'm going to target you based on that. You're from in-state, out-of-state. I'm going to target you that. So the demographic stuff um, or, or your race or whatever, like that stuff is is very well understood and you build personas around it and you target those those users and you know marketing agencies do that every single every single day and that's the traditional way so that introduces a lot of bias though because when you build these models around like oh people with high income um, are more likely to come to our school. Well, yeah, because that those are the people that you allowed in <laughs> because that's what you wanted. So now it's like you're bringing in more and more of the same um, kind of folks in there. So, so that's kind of where the bias comes in. Prior data, uh, which is very similar and which is based on demographics, doesn't allow for kind of this, you know, uh, variety of, uh, well it doesn't allow for for kind of what we want diversity right it doesn't allow for diversity so so when we are looking at bias in ai we that's that's the way we think about it right we think about it because you know that person who comes from a low income um uh, school maybe you didn't buy their data you didn't buy their data from the testing uh services because you were targeting different zip codes because you thought that those zip codes had better yield students from prior uh, prior years, right? And now you missed out on this great student who would have been a great fit for you. Meanwhile, that student has kind of visited your website multiple times, engaged with your communications. And when we think about it is that we're trying to remove that, that bias. And uh, the way that we try to do that is by not looking at the individual person and kind of their uh, their firmographic or, or demographic data by looking at actions, right? As humans, we are very, um, uh, very kind of predictable. So like we're very, you know, beings of behavior, like we, we tend to do the same things or we, uh, you know, at, at the aggregate, we kind of, you can model our behavior in a very, very accurate way. So, so you look at what I did before, and that's a predictor of what I'm going to do next or what I'm going to do later. So that kind of eliminates the, the bias from, um, you know, kind of 
diversity and all the things that we kind of talk about, you know, in the higher education around bias, and it, it placed the effort on actions and behavior. So behavior in this case is we can go back to look at uh, millions of different interactions on, well, not interactions, but just journeys, right? You, you look at uh, a pattern of my interactions. You can say, okay, I opened this many emails. I, I, I send you, uh, I responded to your text message. I came to this kind of web page before uh, I, I responded within this much time of you sending me that communication. Uh, I visited this, this website yesterday. So those interactions and that pattern, you take all those actions together and then you build this kind of pattern for that person. Now combine all of those together for 20 million or, or more um, kind of those, those journeys on how that student moves through. And then you build a very sophisticated um kind of AI model where you're looking at actions and you're looking them not just, you know, overall, right, as static, but you also look at them in a time basis. So, you know, somebody who who became a prospect and then became started an application is very uh, three days later is very different than somebody who uh, became a prospect and started an application a year later, right? So the algorithm thinks about those things very, very differently. So it takes this time component into effect, and then you start uh, making predictions about next actions on those people, right? And those predictions change every single day. So if I'm making a prediction on you today, or AI is, is bubbling up you as a person because you visited the website yesterday, uh, they're not going to bubble you up two days or three days from now because uh, you know that interest might have faded. So when we talk about relevant content, we also have to talk about relevant timing. Like timing is everything, right? Uh, just because you bought, the, you, you said, hey, I bought those shoes already, so why are you still targeting me? Well, maybe they should have targeted you um, two days ago when you were maybe looking at the shoes and didn't buy them yet, but now it's too late. So uh, so that's that's kind of the way we, we think about it. It's around personalization, uh, but then the thinking about behavioral, uh, the behaviors that take away the bias around the demographic stuff that we, we kind of face every single day. Yeah. And I will just uh, acknowledge, hopefully other folks kind of clocked it, the irony of like AI can help eliminate bias and that can help alleviate other people's bias about AI. <laughs> like, because yeah, like we're going to make decisions often in lieu of having, you know, the ability to be more data informed by just being like, you know, yeah, like you said, like, oh, I'm just going to like target people who, you know, live close by, like they, they'll exactly. probably come to our school, right? It's like some of them will, yeah, like, or that come from a certain income background or this or that, or, yeah, test scores, any of these little like quantitative measures that, you know, we can maybe, you know, have some sort of, I would say at best kind of like anecdotal correlation, you know, it's sort of happenstance or something where it's like, yes, sure. A lot of people live close by. Yeah, sure. A lot of people that have like, you know, a certain income level or test score, like they'll come here, but like, you know, it's going to be so much more uh, dynamic or kind of like, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of the right word, but just like, it is telling like what a person does, uh, like they're doing it for a reason. Right. Uh, it's very contextual, right? Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's just that as kind of the primary uh, place where you're going to be making data informed decisions about, like we said, like, you know, how to reach out to somebody when about what, uh, 
yeah, you're again, uh, to use the term just because I like it, of like, you're scratching that itch. Yeah. Like they're looking <laughs> on the website about financial aid information. So let's like let them know, yeah, there's a webinar with our team about that topic. Why don't you join us? And that can help be like, wow, we've like helped alleviate their concern and they're like, super excited to start. And, you know, you know, it goes from there. But um, I'm curious briefly, you know, as we're, we're starting to wrap up, but like what was on my mind is the idea of like, you know, on one hand, it's like you automate what you can, like what I think is easy to do and what's effective to do. But on the other hand, when you have AI and machine learning and all this stuff, like it can hopefully in those places where you can't automate, it still allows for like humans to be a part of the process. Like they're going to make kind of the data matter, make sense of it and make decisions based on those things. So I'm curious how, like what your perspective is on that, because I think that that's always people's kind of concern is like, like, oh, well, we're just going to be like, you know, kneeling at the altar of like our automated gods that are just sort of like, you know, doing everything for us or whatever and, and assuming it's all perfect and, you know, doing the right things all the time. So like, you know, I think adding in that dose of, you know, the personal human touch where it's most proper is another way to try to alleviate somebody who's really concerned about, you know, uh, you know, some new AI empowered tool. Yeah. So there is a, there's a, there's a saying about it, right? Well, not just a saying, but there is kind of a principle that a lot of, and us specifically talk about when you're, you're making decisions, you're making, you're not making data uh, driven decisions. We, we, we talk a lot about data driven decisions, but data driven decisions, there's no, um, th there's no, no one to essentially uh, curate those decisions, right? Us as experts and give us the, the contextual nature of it. It's very difficult for machines to do that. But data informed decisions is probably a better way to think about it. So the data informs like where and gives us kind of a, a little bit of a direction of where we should be looking and kind of where we need to to figure out like what direction should we be leaning towards. And then there's a lot of other factors that come into play, right? So data is there to inform us. AI is there to help us, um, you know, get those decisions right, you know, help the percentage of getting us those decisions right. So uh, if that makes sense, you know, it's not there to replace and to make the decisions for us, but it's, it helps us with the probability of getting those right. Now, when you think about um, where the, the biggest opportunity is, it's in removing uh, decisions and, and kind of this repetitive tasks that are happening every day um, and then let humans be do what humans do best right us as humans are better at you know connecting and engaging with or, or talking like in this high uh, bandwidth like having this personal connections with uh, with folks and and kind of so that's that's the highest mode of in engagement is when we talk about one-on-one -on -one, uh, and when we talk about um, kind of real time, either through audio or video or even in person. In person, it's the highest bandwidth communication. So let humans do that, right? But let the machines get down to bubbling up what should the humans pay attention to, uh, but not necessarily be the ones to say, okay, we're going to do this thing for you. Um, so that's probably um, something to uh, to keep in mind. That's always been my point of view as well as sort of like, you know, how do, can you use sort of like 
technology to empower like a high touch environment, you know, yeah. especially with stuff like this in education with like, yeah, admissions counselors and coaches and advisors and faculty and all that. So, um, yeah, that's perfect. Um, so, uh, before we do kind of our, our usual, uh, wrap up questions, um, I'm just curious, like what you're excited about for the future here. Um, cause yeah, I'm sure that the future is very bright when it comes to, uh, these tools helping, uh, institutions continue to, uh, you know, get the right students at the right time, uh, enrolled in their institutions and everything. But um, yeah, just curious your perspective. There's there's a lot that I'm excited about. Obviously, one of the the, the big things is how these tools are are becoming more and more accessible to everybody. And that's one of the things that we work with the most is how do we make these tools more accessible, easier to use, and how do we make it, um, you know, essentially available uh, for everyone. Uh, the other thing that we're excited about is that higher education, of course, education in general is going through a huge transformations and there's going to be, uh, kind of winners and losers, and there's going to be model business model changes. And, and you're going to see that happening more and more and more. And the, the, the rate of change is really exciting to us because, as, as innovators in the space, as kind of, you know, folks who are kind of trying to push the boundary to, we do a lot of education around what should you be doing? What, how should you be thinking about this? What the narrative is? And because of these external factors and kind of the rate of change happening more and more, uh, faster and faster, and the digital adoption, digital transformation adoption, um, it, it's actually allowing us to become more like, part of more of those conversations that can drive outcomes uh, for the better, both uh, from a uh, institution side and both from a student side. And, and schools are actually listening, right? So they're listening because they're, they're, they're put into a different position now where now the student has become the, uh, the driver, right? So they have to operate with a student-centric approach, student-first approach, rather than be gatekeepers. They are enablers and they are um, kind of helpers and, and guides. Very good. Yeah. I mean, I think those are uh, yeah, all exciting things for the future here. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, as you're kind of navigating the future and just uh, you know doing your work every day, is there any relevant resources that you want to share on this or uh, any related topic? Yeah, we try to post a lot of articles and a lot of white papers on our website. Uh, that's element451.com, uh, element451.com. Uh, we have our, our user conference coming up, um, and that's Engage Summit, uh, and that's going to be actually in two weeks, uh, depending on when this, um, uh, depending on when the podcast comes out. Uh, folks will probably have an opportunity to to kind of either uh, see that live, it's open to everybody, or see the recordings afterwards. But we'll talk a lot about kind of the uh, marketing, engagement, personalization, uh, how, how it pertains to kind of student engagement, um, and of course, tools and techniques and all of that. Uh, the other thing that I want to highlight is that we usually, like when we talk about education uh, at Element 451, we have a great uh, enrollment analytics uh, certificate that we have put together over the past 
a couple of semesters now, and we tend to do that every fall and spring. Uh, so there's we see a huge gap in, in that area, the data literacy part. So so we are trying to kind of push that forward, especially around enrollment analytics. So so you can go to our website around that and, and register for the next cohort of that as well. Perfect. Yeah, we'll have ways to um, yeah just check out uh, what y'all are up to and sharing in general. And uh, yeah, for everyone's reference, we are recording this on July 14th. So I think that folks, uh, yeah, will be able to go and check out um, uh, the recordings like you mentioned of uh, uh, all the programming that you're putting together. But um, yeah, so uh, we will end as we always do, though, uh, with a final thought or call to action on this topic to uh, close everything out. If you are if you work in higher education and if you're um, you've been in higher education for just a couple of months or maybe you've been a uh, a lifer in higher education, it's probably one of the industries that is the most rewarding working towards. So if you are thinking about leaving higher education um, and going to a different industry, um, I guess the call to action is you know stick around, help those students, help institutions. Education is a is a huge huge. Uh, enabler and and kind of a vehicle for for lifting up people out of poverty, for lifting people out of different uh, areas, and kind of bringing people together and and making people's lives better. So you're not just working to get a paycheck. Like obviously, you can work on the vendor side, or you can work on the edtech side, or institutions, or helping them directly or indirectly. You know, stick stick around. I think it's it's much more rewarding. Um, it, it's probably one of the most rewarding uh, uh, areas or, or kind of industries out there that's a beautiful place to end the episode thank you so much for for sharing that and yeah i mean it uh, whatever shape it takes you know for people or it's like yeah maybe you're right out of high school trying to you know get a bachelor's degree or you're trying to kind of level up your career later on and pursue education through you know certificates or different things like uh being able to work in this space and help people achieve those dreams and goals and everything is uh definitely very fulfilling and um yeah, I mean, I can't really imagine myself uh, uh, working anywhere else. So, um, but thank you so much for hanging out and showing all that you did. And uh, yeah, we'll have ways to uh, connect with you and uh, Element 451 and everything else that you mentioned uh, in the show notes as usual. But um, yeah, it was a great episode and uh, always love talking about, uh, yeah, just uh, better ways to engage students and kind of better use uh, uh, institutional resources and everything. So uh, yeah, just thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Dustin. I had a great time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.